crew members and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show, we will be discussing episode 18, Acquisition. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So I'm sure you've already noticed uh, our podcast thumbnail comes from this episode. It's perfect. It is. This was, this is a fun episode. This is a really fun episode. Like it was not a great episode, but it was just so much fun. This was, this is just pure, this is comedy. Yeah. This is Enterprise doing a straight comedy episode. And it turns out they're not half bad at it. No, they're not. Like, this is an episode, this is actually, there are not a whole lot of things about Star Trek as a franchise that I think it is fair to call underrated, because it's Star Trek, it's a cultural monolith. But I think a thing that is consistently underrated is Star Trek's ability to just be goofy on purpose. Okay, yeah. Silly humor. Yeah, because, like... My favorite thing about Deep Space Nine, which I don't think is a popular opinion about Deep Space Nine, was the comedy. Mm-hmm. No, they, they were good at it. And I would not be surprised if that ends up being one of my favorite things about Enterprise, because the episodes where they've been deliberately goofy so far have been some of the most enjoyable ones. I'll agree with that. Now, to be fair, they may have kind of uh, improved their odds at being funny this episode, by making sure that no one in the cast who might not be funny had any lines whatsoever. <laughs> That's true. They just like, all right, we, we know you three can do comedy. Everyone else, go sleep. Everyone else, <laughs> go to sleep. Collect your check at the end. But it worked. Yep. And then they brought. There in... were a lot of uh, extras in this episode. They and then they who brought... just lay around. Mm-hmm. And then they also brought in some uh, really excellent ringers to uh, round out the comedy by putting on Ferengi masks. They sure did. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk about those guys at length, though. Yeah, we are. Do you want to give us a summary of this? Sure, I'll give you a summary of this. So this episode is Acquisition, named, of course, for the rules of acquisition, which we've never heard of before. Which is why they have to be explained to us at one point. I'll get to that later. No, uh, okay, okay, okay. Anyway, we have on our hands a Ferengi episode. Oh, I'm sorry, a nameless alien invader episode. Which means our first question is, are these the sort of smart Deep Space Nine Ferengi or the stupid TNG Ferengi? The answer is the really stupid Ferengi. (laughs) But it's okay, because two of them are played by national treasures Jeffrey Combs and Ethan Phillips. When we open, said Ferengi are boarding the Enterprise, where the entire crew is mysteriously knocked out, except for Commander Trip Tucker, because the safest place on the ship is apparently the Tanning Salon, or what they call the Decontamination Chamber. The Ferengi, I mean, the, the nameless alien You can thieves, call them Ferengi. I, okay. The Ferengi want to steal everything and sell it for, gasp, profit. And it's up to Trip, along with the later awakened Archer and T'Pol, and nobody else, to foil their dastardly and utterly incompetent plot before they kidnap our precious baby Porthos. Will the Ferengi <laughs> make off with their torpedoes and pecan pie? Will Archer and Tucker's machismo plus T'Pol's feminine wiles win the day? Has Ethan Phillips now had more total lines on Star Trek Enterprise <laughs> than Anthony Montgomery? <laughs> 
The star of the show, Porthos, is a far superior life form and is thus incapable of communicating with Ferengi. <laughs> Those ears, though. Such good ears. Such good ears. I was glad that they were capable, like... The Ferengi recognized this those ears. This is common ground between us, is that they are capable of recognizing the superiority of beagle ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no attempt at Umox, thank goodness. Yep. We didn't need more awkwardness in the episode. Wait, no, they had Umox. No, I meant with Porthos. Oh, with Porthos. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. The, they... They were very nice in this episode about not basing most of the humor around just total awkwardness. Mm -hmm. It was mostly just around Ferengi doing what Ferengi do best, which is being total morons. I feel like just the um, the cast, especially uh, Jolene Blaylock, were having trouble keeping a straight face uh-huh. as they acted up these scenes because... Well, she's also got to keep a really straight face exactly. because she's a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I would love to see the blooper reel for this episode. Oh, that would be great. Despite the lack of, uh, well, the, uh, the the periodic looking like they were about to corpse uh, faces, it's a term for like when an actor cracks up a little bit. So like, if you're supposed to be playing a corpse, you can't emote at all. But every oh. so often, you'll see a corpse twitch a little bit, especially during, during a funny scene. Um, and so it's called corpsing when the actor's trying really hard not to laugh and, like, the sides of their mouth twitch a little bit. Huh. Yeah. I didn't, stuff I didn't from, know that. Stuff from TV tropes. Okay. Um, but uh, aside from that, I thought that the three main cast who had literally anything to do in this episode <laughs> were all quite, quite good with the comedy. Yeah. And uh, everybody else, well, almost everybody else, at least got to be the focus of a shot. I don't think Travis Mayweather did, though. <laughs> I, I think that might have been a body double. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, um, I I really hope at some point that he gets to have a real focus episode, not a fake focus episode, but I'm kind of losing hope here. I'm not going to count on it. Yeah, neither so, am I. So do you want to talk about the, the Ferengi and their, their for like, the way... You, you mentioned in the beginning you were worried about them being the TNG Ferengi who were just kind of mean and nasty... Yeah. As opposed to the uh, DS9 Ferengi who had a rich culture, albeit a ridiculous one. Yeah, so the the Ferengi kind of got off to a bad start on Star Trek. Because when they showed up on TNG for the first time, they were just like little greedy monsters who had no redeeming qualities and were mean and gluttonous and uh, extremely lewd and... Uh, loud about all of these things and nobody was especially happy to see them when they showed up and also they may or may not have played into some really unfortunate stereotypes about other cultures um which is not something that i terribly feel the need to get involved in but um then when ds9 rolled around and the ferengi got to be in the main cast a little bit and uh the first ferengi officer joined starfleet um, then the fir- then we actually explored some Ferengi culture and we got some development of some Ferengi characters. And while their culture was still ridiculous and the characters were still comic relief or the basis for comedy episodes a lot of the time, they were really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they like underwent genuine development or had really insightful things to say. 
And so I generally really look forward to the DS9 Ferengi episodes. And so my concern, because Enterprise is a prequel, was that they were going to go back to the mean, nasty Ferengi instead of continuing with the developed Ferengi from DS9. And they did a little bit. I think they actually hit a pretty nice balance. They did, because, you know, it sort of makes sense for them to be more like the earlier Ferengi, given that we are, in fact, earlier. Mm Mm-hmm in this episode. Um, And you know, the Ferengi culture might have had a little bit of time to develop over a couple hundred years. Cultures do that. Mm -hmm. And also the way that they interact with you will change depending on, you know, what they think of you. And here they're just... Here we're brand new to them. Yeah, exactly. And so they're just like, oh look, a ship with stuff. Let's go take that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they're thieves. Yeah, they are. They're they're No, 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 no. They're merchants. No, they're not. Remember that... um, Krem was saying, oh, my cousin is a skillful merchant. Merchants. As, as they they're, are they're, pirate. pi- they're pirates. I know, but I love that, that they basically said euphemism, like merchant as a euphemism for pirate. Yeah, that's true. They did. It, it's fun. It's fun. Um, but, anyway. but yeah, the, the thing is, like, they were, these were some of the most incompetent Ferengi we've ever seen on Star Trek. And we've seen some pretty incompetent Ferengi. But they were so earnest about being incompetent. (laughs) Like, part of it is that I think all four of them, I was not super familiar with two of the actors who were playing the four Ferengi, but then the other two are just so inherently disarming actors. Mm -hmm. I think that helped a lot. And the casting of Ferengi really matters in terms of how appealing you're going to make the Ferengi. Because you need actors who can play them with a little bit of, not even like a gentler side, but just as like goofy instead of nasty. Mm-hmm. And at no point on this were they ever really nasty. Even the scenes that started getting uncomfortably sexual were never like, oh, 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 type yeah. of thing. But also I think that they did a great job. Um, honestly, I think that the beginning of the show where the universal translator device that the Frangi had had not been turned on yet, I thought that was kind of a stroke of brilliance because it uh-huh. allows you to to let the Frangi just like emote and give inflections to what they're saying and you know, you as the audience, you can't tell whether they are saying, ah, let's go and like butcher them all, probably not, uh-huh. or, or are they saying you know, oh, shut up, you're being stupid, you you know, lobes something or other. Yeah, something something lobes. Yeah, like, and so... Something something lobes something rules of acquisition number 73. Mm-hmm. But it just, I don't know, it worked really well. And yeah. it, it left me, it left you for a while not knowing how it was going to turn out. And it was actually pretty compelling. We're getting very much into, like, starting into pluses and minus territory here. But yeah, I loved the beginning of this episode. Because for the most part, it was a dialogue-free episode. Because they're talking, but you can't understand what they're saying. So it's not serving the function that dialogue Yeah, the serves. first like, third or so of the episode didn't have dialogue. The dialogue was serving a purely emotive function and not a plot advancement function. And they pulled it off really well because it had to be sold entirely on the basis of the shooting and also the physical comedy. Yeah. And they did great. And they did. Oh it. man, the the intro shot with uh, the um, the lobes or the just the Ferengi head just like coming up on the screen, that was that was beautiful. It was 
it was kind of dumb, but it was dumb in a really beautiful way. Also, speaking of the shooting and the direction, fun little bit of trivia. This episode was directed by James Whitmore Jr. And if that name sounds at all familiar, it's because he is the son of James Whitmore, whom you probably remember as Brooks in The Shawshank Redemption. Huh. But who was, in general, a very famous character actor throughout several, several decades. I did not know that. Yep. Well, while we're on that topic, um, this episode had a, a fun little bit of trivia about the... Uh, just even with those uh, three out of the four Ferengi, mm-hmm. they had, among them, guest stars from every Star Trek series. Only three out of the four? You, you don't actually need uh, Matt Malloy to, oh. um, to fill it out. Just between Clint Howard, Ethan Phillips, and Jeffrey Combs, you have every Star Trek series up to that point. Oh, wow. Um, but Matt Malloy had been on a Star Trek episode before, too. Had he? Or had he? I'm, I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, okay. He's not important. Um, but the funny thing is uh, Mook, who is one of the Frankie, played by Clint Howard. Uh, so <laughs> he, had, he had the greatest gap between his Star Trek roles. Yeah. Um, there was an episode in the original series called The Corbomite Maneuver. Quite a famous episode. I think it was, it was not the pilot, but I believe it was the first episode aired. I don't know. There were like 67 the different series. pilots to the original series. It was either the first episode... I don't think it was the first episode shot, but I think it may have been the first episode that showed up on TV. Anyway, one of the, I guess, big twist things in this episode is that the alien entity was just this little baby. Mm-hmm. That was Clint Howard. That was Clint Howard. He was so cute. His face actually looks really similar. <laughs> Which I guess makes sense. He's still the same person. And when you pulled up that picture of him, I was like, he definitely looks like one of the Ferengi in that episode. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that's cute. They brought together a bunch of Star Trek alumni to all be really dumb Ferengi together. It was a good time. Are we into pluses? Yeah, let's just start doing pluses. Okay, uh, you go first. Um, those socks. The Ferengi (laughs) socks! I forgot about the Ferengi socks! Those were some delightful socks. Yeah. They don't serve any purpose whatsoever except to be in one shot of one of the Ferengi trying on Archer's boots, but Yeah. Those were good socks. Those socks those that was those socks said a thousand words of character development. They sure did. <laughs> um my first plus is that the decontamination chamber is actually just a very self aware joke now, and I love it a lot. Speaking of self-aware jokes, um, maybe we should take your cook with us. Yes, maybe we should take your cook with us. And yeah, that's that's very likely to happen. And I'm telling you, Archer's little smile there was because he knows the joke's on them. There is no chef to take. I don't even know at this point. I'm actually legally not allowed to know, but I don't even know. That's, that's what it was. It was a beautiful little moment on Scott Bakula's part. Just a quiet, tacit admission that they can't take the chef because there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually another one of my pluses was that Scott Bakula had a range of facial expressions in this episode. <laughs> he did. He smiled and he scowled and he kind of did those two things to varying degrees mostly. But still, he's, he's getting better. He's learning to act with his face. Yep. I, I have hopes for the future. All right. Um, I'll I'll say it again. I love that uh, that they 
<laughs> he tried to communicate with Porthos because his ears were big. Yes. He was good. But they couldn't uh, lock onto his language. They assumed it was because he was a lower life form, but little did they realize it was because he was a higher life form. They thought he was going to be Captain Archer's dinner. I guess the Ferengi <laughs> don't have a concept of pets. No, but they do have a concept of dinner. I loved how they were uh, uh, going through the foods like, nah, I'm not going to take that. It's got veggies in it. Ooh, this looks like dessert. I'm taking that. Yep. Although we did see that uh, like TSA bin full of fruit that they've taken. <laughs> yep. So I, I guess they do like... Fruit. Yeah, I guess they like some healthy food. Yeah. Uh, I think it was... But the, the, yeah. the pie thing where he was just taking all the pie and dumping it into his bag was, mm-hmm. was pleasing. Yeah. You, you want to go? Um, this is may- maybe a little, maybe this is a little bit mean. This is on my pluses list, but Archer continues to get punched by everybody, <laughs> including his own chief engineer. Oh my goodness. Yes. That <laughs> they just dive into a fisticuffs. Yeah. I was expecting, and like, I'm okay that they didn't do this, but I was kind of expecting them to have one of those moments at the end of the episode where Archer was like, that really hurt, dude. <laughs> Because, you know, they had to sell it like it was a real fight, but Trip just, like, plowed him into mm-hmm. a wall through a whole bunch of containers. Yeah. Like, dang, Hoshi. You're not even Trip's real wife, but he was willing to stick <laughs> up for you hard. Yep. Um, that's the extent to which you got to be in this episode, so uh, so uh, take what you can get. But, yeah, it's just... this This episode felt, in general, very self-aware. And mm-hmm. it felt like it was capitalizing on a lot of the purposeful or accidental running jokes that they've uh, that they've done, like Trip running around in his underwear because he was in the decontamination chamber, uh-huh. which is just the place where they all hang out naked on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Archer just getting slugged by everybody all the time <laughs> because he says things that make people want to punch him. And then, uh, but I don't know, just like. Uh, Trip Tucker, like, that was some really good, uh, physical, like, comedy. I guess maybe more, more credit to the director for that, but, like... No, credit to the actors. Like, he, you know, he's just, like, uh, you know, lowers his head down through the, uh, Jeffrey's tube, like, while in his underwear. Yeah, Yeah, that was a good... It was like he was Spider-Man for a moment. More like Batman, but... No, no, actually, yeah, kind of Spider-Man. Yeah. I know, he was a something man. Yeah. And, you know, running around in his underwear, mm-hmm. popping upside down out of the holes in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some fun shots. Well done, James Whitmore Jr. and team. Um, but as far as selling the comedy goes, like, the key the key to this and why this episode was genuinely funny, where the TNG Ferengi episodes tended to fall flat, was that everybody was just so committed to mm-hmm. this dumb idea. And they were okay with it being comedy. Yeah. They didn't need it to be uh, dramatic. Like, they can let there be drama, but it's just over the top to Mm -hmm. become comedy then. Yeah. Uh, A big example of that are the uh, Ferengi whips. Now, the (laughs) the energy whips that Ferengi wield are a, like, they were supposed to be, like, the cool, exciting, scary thing when they showed up in uh, The Last Outpost on TNG. But no, they're sex toys. (laughs) Oh, come on. <laughs> that, that, that's what they are. That's what you see them as. Because you weren't a child who had a Ferengi action figure with, complete with an energy whip. 
<laughs> accessory that he came with. Look, I don't know what the Star Trek people were trying to sell the children. Uh, I, I only call them as I see them, but I, I, I was very pleased to see the, uh, the energy whip come back. And the reason that it worked, and because it was funny, was again, because nobody was trying to make it dramatic, but the actors were so committed to it. Because mm-hmm. when you are trying, when you're trying to be funny, you can't try to be funny. You can't try to make people laugh. You have to commit to the ridiculousness and just believe that it's going to be ridiculous. This episode of Acting 101, taught by my beautiful wife Mandy, has been brought to you by the letter uh, K. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll shut up now. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Okay. It's good. But yeah, that's that is our, the, that's our, the secret to how you be funny is that you can't try to be funny. Our listeners are are getting like knowledge out of this podcast. I don't know about that, but they learned some cool Star Trek trivia. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what else you got? I just I thought this was a really good. If you got to do a prequel, uh-huh. um, this was this is a good way to do it. Like. This is not, this would not work as an introduction to the Ferengi. Um, so much of this episode is kind of dependent on you knowing the Ferengi. So you laugh as they start measuring the size of the ear. Yep. On the humans. Or when they say humans. Uh-huh. Uh, and we learned in this episode why they call them humans. Because Jeffrey Combs' character, who's kind of goofy misheard or mispronounced mm-hmm. what T'Pol called them while she was insulting the humans. Mm-hmm. And thus they were humans from there on out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like uh, I think that they did a great job of referencing all these little goofy things the Ferengi have, you know, their rules of acquisition and, and so on and so forth without making it just a whole episode of, hey look we quoted rules of acquisition that's funny. No, like it was funny on its own. Mm-hmm. And they, they put in all these little winks for the, the Star Trek fan who's, uh, you know, watched way too much Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. It was it was a good form of fan service. Mm-hmm. Um, I can keep going. Where, no, I got, I got one more. Um, what was the full line? There was a line delivery that Scott Bakula did that I... It was... I'll even, I'll throw, even throw in the Vulcan, Vulcan female. <laughs> Yeah, it's on my notes too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just he he did that and I was like, "Oh, he's having fun. This is so good to see." <laughs> oh, there there were a lot of like good good lines like that. Yeah, props um, all that around was... to all the people who got lines in this episode. Mhm. And, but yeah, it was, it was goofy that they immediately figured out just how to turn these guys against each other. Um, mm-hmm. which you know, if this was just the first time we'd ever seen the Ferengi on Star Trek, probably wouldn't have worked very well. But because we already know they're goofy, uh, it just kind of works even better. Yeah. Let's see. Um, what else do I have? I'm actually out just because most of mine were big, so feel free to keep going. Yeah, um... I was very amused at what I am calling the Tyson Maneuver. Um, when uh, Trip has to uh, disarm the Ferengi, he uh, jumps on him and bites his lobes. Why is that the Tyson Maneuver? Uh, after Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Yep, yeah. I don't know. Like, while that is not actually... I don't know, it's, it's physical violence, but I don't know, it was funny in this case because the Frangier 
are they so... They have really sensitive ears. They have really sensitive ears. <laughs> that is the equivalent to biting something very different. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and poor Trip doesn't even realize what he did. Or maybe he did realize what he did. I don't know. I don't think he had had an opportunity yeah, to discover not. what he did. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, there was a scene with T'Pol just casually turning the Ferengi against each other. Uh, there were four little sensor devices, and she that was so good. Th- like three of them in one bag, and held on to the other one. Oh man! It was just so much of this episode was let's make the Ferengi fight because they'll fight over anything. And I love that the 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 Enterprise crew just decided we're going to take back the ship. We're not going to do it with force. We're just going to turn them all against each other. Yep. Um, and just a really minor little thing that I noticed um, that door that lock the big lock that Trip put on to the it was just like a I don't know biomatter reclamation room or whatever I Uh I think that actually means that that is their um, that's where the toilet's flushed to I'm pretty sure that's what it means Um, but he put a big fancy lock on that door Uh and that was the lock from the episode cold front Oh, from that, the door that yeah. the, the crew quarters that are sealed off now? Yeah. But what happened to the lock on that door? Do they just have a bunch of those lying around? Maybe. Huh. Okay. I don't know. But I don't know. I recognize the prop. Okay, cool. Interesting. Good reuse of a prop, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, it was fun. I think I'm about done with uh, with my bosses okay. now. Um at one point there was very amusing score use of what I think was an oboe. Oh, yeah. I thought... No, that was a clarinet. Was it? Okay. That was a clarinet. Yeah, I guess but, that was But the clarinet. fact that I know exactly what you're talking about uh-huh. kind of kind of indicates it was pretty good. Yeah, there is a point in the episode, you will know it if you see it, where there's really good use of a clarinet. Yeah. They, good job, whoever wrote the score for this one. Uh, I assume it was the same guy who writes the score for all of them. Jay Chataway, I think? Okay. Good job, Jay. Um... You take them away if you want to start doing minuses. Okay, this is not really a minus as much as... uh, I can't decide whether it's a plus or a minus because it was funny, but it was funny in a clunky sort of way. The transition between the opening and the theme song was really... Oh, gosh! (laughs) uh, Really adjective. (laughs) Just, we have Ferengi snarling at each other in Ferengi. And then, did we see, like, the Enterprise crew asleep before we cut to it? Or? No, they, they showed the Enterprise... I don't think so, but they did show they the Enterprise... They showed the Enterprise, like, like, floating dead It's kind space. of funny. Like, the way that you indicate to the viewer that a space vehicle is disabled, you just tilt the camera so it's kind of sideways. Yeah. Space has no absolute orientation, so it's not like the the vessel, like, has tilted because it's broken. No, that's just the camera tilting. Yep. But, but yeah, it, we see... It's, it's just, you know, we see that sh- the knowledge. We see that shot, and it's like the Enterprise is floating dead in space, mm-hmm. and then we see the back of a Ferengi head, uh-huh. and then we see the Ferengi kind of snarling at each other in their language, and then making some faces like, ooh, we gotta get us some good stuff, and then, it's been a long road. <laughs> Uh, and uh, maybe not the best transition from cold open to intro that they've ever have, had. Do you think that the uh, Enterprise producers have realized that a pop song does not like fit in 
to everything else that they have. Well, I think that regardless of whether they have realized that, they have decided that too late to go back now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, as far as I know, Rick Berman, at least, is still vigorously defending that pop song. Okay. okay. So, uh... Either he doesn't realize it, or he's committed to making sure no one ever knows he realized it. Fair enough. Alright, so, uh, this isn't a huge minus, but there was a pile of ladies. There was a pile of ladies. That's all. I have a related one. Um, my minuses largely kind of fall into the category of, I would frequently mind that they had, that they did this, but it's funny, so I mind less. Okay. Uh, one of them is seriously quit with the over-sexualizing of T'Pol. Yes. We have done this so many times in a row now. Can we have an episode where T'Pol's physique is not a plot point? That would be really cool. Please. And again, it was funny, and Jolene Blaylock did really well in this episode, so I mind it less than I've minded it the past couple episodes. And also, like, the Ferengi are... Find sexy ladies irresistible, so it makes sense that they'd be mm -hmm. all over that. But seriously, enough. Mm hmm Yeah. Um, I put this as a minus, not that it's a, a big one, but the episode actually didn't do anything new. Like, no, it, it did it well. What it did, it did well. But, you know, the, the plot where you've got some bandits stealing things from your ship, uh, I think there was a TNG episode where... Mm -hmm where uh, Picard was the only one on the Enterprise uh, stopping some bandits. Mm-hmm. Um, though that one was not comedy. True. But, like, the Ferengi comedy heist has also been done many the Ferengi, times. Yep, it has. I think probably the Magnificent Ferengi was the best one. Yes. Um, but, yeah, like, it didn't do anything new, but what it did, it did well. Yeah, which, again, is fine. Mm -hmm. I don't need them to do something new every single episode. And if they're gonna, and if you know, they're this going is to completely rehash an episode they've used several times, it's nice of them to do it really well. Yeah, it's not the naked now. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the naked now. Yep. All right, your turn. My turn. Uh, Archer not telling Starfleet about the Ferengi that they ran into was super irresponsible. He didn't know they were called Ferengi. But not, not, okay, so we know, because of the show's continuity, that when the TNG crew runs into some Ferengi a couple mm -hmm. hundred years later, they don't know what the Ferengi look like. Mm -hmm. Like, they have heard the name Ferengi, but when they run into the Ferengi in that episode, it is, to their knowledge, the first time that humans, etc., have ever run into Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Um, now... But in this episode... We get a real good look at some Ferengi who are never called by that name, but surely, surely Captain Archer is responsible enough to call up Starfleet Command and tell them, hey, we ran into these alien pirates, avoid at all costs, here's what they look like. Like, that would be the responsible thing to do. But Archer is just like, rather than try to, you know, make any good come of it, make any consequences, like, let's not worry about protecting the Federation. I just want to put the cute one in charge. Well, there's no Federation yet. Yeah, but, that's know, right. Protecting no, Starfleet. Yeah, yeah, Starfleet. Yeah, my bad. Because uh, it sounded like, because T'Pol didn't seem to recognize them, the Vulcans didn't know about the Ferengi either. Some species has, has, has met them. They were mentioned in a previous episode. 
Okay. Um, but uh, the Klingons might have met them. I think the Klingons had met them. Perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, Archer's just happy to send them on their way with his favorite Ferengi in charge. Now. Yep, Archer's like, no one ever has to know my organization to which I am responsible and to which I have bound my life and my duty doesn't have to know that y'all almost robbed us blind as long as Jeffrey Combs gets to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those two. Scott Bakula, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, boy. OGP? Talking about them in terms of the actors makes it a little bit weird. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Well, well, I, I expect also that Jeffrey Combs is going to play a lot of characters on this show. Actually, it's mostly just Shran. Shran and this guy? Mostly just Shran. <laughs> That's acceptable. Yeah. But still. Um, also, this was not the first contact that humans had with the Frankie. You may... So... Uh, you may have noticed that occasionally this podcast gets censored. I hope that this doesn't happen again. But back in 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico, oh. there was um, oh. there was something that happened there. Yes, right. I don't think we should say any more just because you know, we don't want the censors coming after us again. You can go watch the Deep Space Nine episode, Little Green Men. <laughs> yes, you can. That can happen. <laughs> yep. That's true. We are very confused about when our first contact with the Ferengi was. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because also they're not green. They're not green, and they're really memorable. Yeah. It's not and like yet everybody just... keeps forgetting yeah, that they run yeah. into them. This is a deep and profound inconsistency within the Star Trek. <laughs> oh no! We found an inconsistency in the Star Trek! Whatever will we oh, do? No. <laughs> oh no. Uh, that's all I got, though. Same. Like... It's fun. It's fun. I don't have a whole lot to complain about. This was the episode we needed for today. Yeah. We were looking for something fun. We found something fun. Yeah. Good stuff. I I generally appreciate it when Star Trek is just content to be fun having in space. So now that we've had all this fun, it's time for us to get deadly serious and figure out the most important thing of all. Oh, geez. This is going to be contentious this time around. And if you yeah. don't know what I'm talking about, this is the Kirk Award. Every show, we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. It's a tough competition this yeah, week. Yeah, it is. Um... So my first thought was, let's give it to Trip Tucker, who ran around doing like physical sneakiness and combat in his underwear. Yep, showing off his legs. Yep, and commenting at one point about one of the female characters assuming the worst about him because he yep. was running around in his underwear. I wrote something in here before the over-sexualization of T'Pol started about equal opportunity objectification mm. when we were invited to stare at uh, Connor Trenier's butt for a while. But uh, it, they, they, they ruined that. So, And speaking of T'Pol, I hear this, and it's a strong case, mm -hmm. but my first thought was to give it to Subcommander T'Pol, who... Uh, used her inherent sexual charms to pull off a pretty darn successful Kirk gambit with one of the Ferengi. Yep. Which is also a very Shatner thing to do. It is. Um, and yet, 
Then there's Archer. And then there's Archer, who, again, just was playing William Shatner in this episode. Mm-hmm. And doing quite a fine job of it. He should probably just stick to doing that a lot of the time. Yeah. but And he, he was even closer to the facial expression range of William Shatner. He was. He didn't do any, like, snarling the way that Shatner sometimes does. But he did some of the cheeky smiles and the brow furrowing and the... And the just ridiculous... And the extremely masculine confidence... All three of them, though, were just doing really bad lying and acting at the Ferengi, and it always worked. Yep. Actually, except to Paul, who was doing good lying and acting at the Ferengi. You're right. Hmm. But sometimes Kirk could do that. Yeah? Especially since Kirk's pheromones seem to have a particularly strong effect on alien ladies. Okay. So, but they were kind of working together as a seamless team. So, is it possible for us to split the Latin? I mean, the um, the Kirk Award three ways? Can we set that kind of precedent? I don't know. It could get dangerous. It could compromise the integrity of the Kirk Award, which has so much substance and meaning to it. Yeah, I don't know. They might have to. They might have to fight over it. I think it, this. I think or they should. Or agree how to divide it three ways. I think we should put them onto a planet, um, give them everything they need to make uh, primitive weapons. And uh, let them fight it out for our amusement. Sounds great. All right. The sound that you definitely hear right now is me lobbing the Kirk Award onto a random moon somewhere. <laughs> Archer, Tucker, to Paul, go fight over it. Decide how you're going to split it. We will definitely be invested in the result of this. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Three-way tie. Three-way tie. Very good. Anything else? I'm, I'm good. Cool. As always, thank you very much for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a review, rating, or even signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we've brightened your day, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you're watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode Oasis. I like these one-word titles. So far, so good. Yeah. Uh, Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.